Today we're going to be talking about the process of composing a score for a big-budget documentary. That's up next. This is a little bit of the score from Prehistoric Planet, composed by my guest today, who I'll introduce in a moment. And hello, welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 22. I am your host, David Lane. It is great to be with you once again. We've already had a couple of episodes where we've talked about film scoring already. Specifically, we talked to Dr. Frank Lehman a couple of times about the music of John Williams. But today is going to be the first time that we talk about the scoring process, in this case for a documentary series, while talking to the composers themselves. My guests today are Andrzej Rosman and Kara Talvi, and they are the featured composers for the series, prehistoric planet. They both work through a company called Bleeding Fingers, which is a film music company that was co-founded by the legendary composer Hans Zimmer and Russell Emanuel. That company has scored the music for quite a few documentary features. Uh, Another notable one lately that we're not discussing today is Frozen Planet 2. But today we're talking to Anjan Kara about their collaborative process for scoring prehistoric planet which is a series that has season one already out on Apple TV Plus and will soon have season two coming, which they scored that as well. Among the number of things we're going to talk about is what it's like to collaborate as a composer. You might be listening to this and you are a composer and maybe you've only composed by yourself. So it's a different experience when you are working together and trying to come up with some music that sounds like it was written by one person. So we talk quite a bit about that. We talk about spotting the film, and you'll learn what spotting is if you don't know already. We learn about creating what's called the mock-up, and then having it orchestrated, and all the way to the scoring session, which took place in Wales, with an orchestra exceeding 80 members. Now, if you've been listening to the Musician Toolkit for a while, you know I'm all about the tools that make up musicianship. Of course, we're gonna be talking about composition, but we're also going to be talking about collaboration and we're also going to be talking about, uh, you know, studio technology and also performing instruments because a lot of the instruments in this score were custom built and, and therefore the composers were the first to ever have to actually perform the instruments. So they had to learn as they went. So without any further delay, here's my conversation with Anjay and Kara. Well, it's my pleasure today to be talking to Andrzej Rosman and Kara Talvi, and uh, these are composers who've worked on the series of Prehistoric Planets, so guys, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So let's just, uh, we'll just start with you, Kara. Just tell us a little bit of how did you get into, like, what was the moment you decided that you wanted to be a composer? Uh, and was it always a composer for, you know, multimedia like films and television, or did you find your way to that after doing other things? Yeah. Well, I came from a family of 
musicians. My dad's a musician. My grandma was an excellent classical pianist. And that's sort of why I started taking piano lessons. And for a while as a kid, I wasn't that interested in it. I was very good at playing piano, but I was annoyed simultaneously that I had to go to piano lessons. And it was always, it wasn't always clear if I would pursue music or go do something else. But probably by the end of high school, I realized it actually is my calling and the thing that I'm meant to be doing. So then from there, I went to Berklee College of Music and I was really inspired by the Shawshank Redemption, Thomas Newman's score. Yes. And that's the thing that really inspired me to get into film composing specifically. Uh, and then after I graduated, I moved out to LA and had various internships and assistant positions until I eventually was hired as a composer at Bleeding Fingers. Well, great. Now, um, you, you said, you know, the Shawshank Redemption inspired you to become a film composer. Was that after you were already at Berkeley? Were you doing something else there? No. When I entered Berkeley, I was already great. really excited about that film scoring program that I heard so much about. Excellent. And they have a really great program that gives you a very nice foundation to actually do this professionally. Great. Um, and Anjay, how did you come into this career? Uh, I'll give you short biography. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in, in Slovenia. It's a small chicken-shaped country bordering Italy, Austria, Croatia, and Hungary. And my pa my grandparents were music lovers, so I would I would go to concerts with them from a very early age, like four or five years old. And after these concerts of the usually the Slovenian Philharmonics or the Opera House Orchestra, I would still have music resonating in my head. But it took a few years until I realized that the music that was resonating in my head was of my own, not something that I've heard. So that kind of sparked the urge in me and trying to figure out how to write it down. So fast forward till when I was, I, I guess, around 12, 13, when Gladiator came out, uh, I was completely, you know, in, in impressed by, by Hans Zimmer's score. And that kind of sparked the interest in me in pursuing um, film scoring as well. So I, 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 I attended the music conservatory in Slovenia and then later the Academy of Music in Slovenia studied composition. And then I did my master's at Berkeley College of Music uh, in Valencia, film scoring program. And then fast forward to the end of the program, they took us to London to Air Studios uh, to record our final project with a 54-piece orchestra. Wow. And lucky for me and everyone else there, I guess, um, Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer were recording Interstellar there at the same time. So they were locked out of the studio for two days because of us Berkeley students taking over. <laughs> so I, I briefly met Hans there. And then another coincidence happened a few months later where he stumbled upon my recording online on, on the VI control forum. Uh, so my recording from Air Studios. And uh, he basically replied to the post uh, saying, this is brilliant. Now I'm not so mad that you kids stole my studio. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we kind of kept in touch throughout the years 
I mean, briefly over Facebook. And then in 2017, I basically called Hans and asked if I can come work here. Wow. <laughs> and a few months later, I was here. So that's that's my short story. Well, what's that like hearing Gladiator and having that be the inspiration for your for you to become a film composer and then to find yourself working with the very composer? I mean, I'm not. I'm not religious or spiritual in, in, in any way, but a few things in my life, especially in my career path, have gone down uh, interesting, you know, so many coincidences had to happen in order for me to be where I am right now. And I, I feel extremely lucky and privileged to be, I guess, one of the few that that actually had a goal and managed to, you know, come to it in a sense, you know, as a kid listening to Gladiator and Hans Zimmer being one of the most renowned film composers of our era or, or maybe also of all time, and then being able to walk beside him in a sense is is quite mind-blowing and I have to, um, I have to pinch myself every so often. Right. Well, that that's, uh, that's a wonderful story. Let's, uh, we we won't we won't spend a, a whole lot of time on your career leading to this point. We're going to talk about pre prehistoric planet. So I, now I know the theme is uh, is composed by Hans Zimmer and Andrew James Christie, and my understanding is that the two of you worked on the series music, all of the underscores, you know, for each episode. So maybe dissect that a little bit further because one thing uh, I do have, you know, I, I did go to. Uh, a school that had film music and uh and so i know a little bit about the process from like way very long ago and i've done some independent work but i've always worked solo i've never collaborated and i'm just kind of curious about that whole aspect so how do you guys basically separate the work or do you separate the work do you work on the same things at the same time uh what is collaborating as composers on a series like for you well, before every episode starts, we have a spotting session. That's kind of the first thing that happens. And that session is very important for the rest of our artistic experience on that episode. Because right. the directors and the showrunners are going to give us insights as to what they want for each scene. Um, emotions that they want to convey, things that they want to hit things that they don't want to hit you know things that we should know there's going to be sound design here um don't cover it up with music things like that that might not be so clear in the rough picture so we get all this information and after we've done that we kind of sit down as a team and decide who's gonna be assigned which cue and that can come from you know a place of, I think Anshe would be really great at this one and he thinks I would be great at a different scene and we kind of split it up like that. Right. I, I do agree with everything that Kara said, but mind you that um, the way me and Kara work together is very interlocked in a sense where even if she starts a cue, we would always listen back and forth to what we were writing. Right. Uh, in order to 
uh, have the score be very homogenous. Like a good example is in the Coasts episode and on the soundtrack, uh, the track is called Alcione and Phospho Draco. Mm -hmm. um, it's this very, very long scene of um, baby pterosaurs flying off a cliff uh, over the ocean to reach the promised forest land where they're safe. And, uh, you know, they get, they get uh, attacked by, by larger pterosaurs on their way. But that whole nine minute and a half piece of music, I think, was split into four parts between us. So mm. Kara did the first part, I did the second part, then Kara did the cliff diving scene, and I did the ending, like, chase scene. But it all blends into one that no one would really know that it was composed by two people on, and then kind of glued together. Other, the other thing I wanted to say is sometimes I would struggle with, with a cue and Kara, can you come listen to this? And Kara would switch around a few notes and I was like, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I've needed, you know, right. you know for the past two hours. Or or Kara's like, I, I need something different on this cue and, and we would record one of our custom instruments in my studio. Or So it was, you know, a very collaborative process in that sense. Um, it's It's not just us locked in each, uh, like in our own studios and working on our own stuff and then mm -hmm. seeing what happens at the end. Right. And that, that explains quite a bit about just the technical aspect of getting the work done as, as a team. But I'm most curious because I'm, I'm certain that when you two write your own music, it doesn't sound like each other. And yet you have to agree on harmonic choices uh, melodic material and by the way that's something i do want to note about prehistoric planet uh you know if there's a criticism you know fair or unfair about a lot of modern scores is that a lot of times me melody is underemphasized or sometimes omitted for a lot of scores but that's not the case with prehistoric planet you guys have some very rich melodies some great melodic material and um so how do you decide um i mean do I guess, like, for example, Carol, would you come up with a melody and you make use of that and then, Anjay, you do likewise? Or do you choose, uh, like, like the harmonic language of the film? That's what I'm really curious about. How do you guys make decisions about that? I, I'm just going to jump in. I know the question was for Kara, but I think all, all the good melodies... In the in the season, are either Kara's or the main theme. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not true. The first sunrise is your melody, and that one's good. <laughs> that's maybe. Yeah, um, I think that luckily we have. That's probably why we're grouped together to do certain projects. Yeah, because we already have a similar harmonic sound like our I I feel like you'd have to be really invested in both of us to hear the really subtle differences mm -hmm. between between it our harmonic vocabulary right 
it's right. very similar and we use similar sample libraries and um we have a similar way of orchestrating things so at the end of the day even if our melodies are slightly different it, the sound is homogenous because of those factors right and there there's two more factors to it that we kind we started working at bleeding fingers at roughly the same time so we kind of learned from each other yeah. from the get go and the other aspect that we usually don't don't disclose in these podcasts but since we're talk talking about this we also live together and are engaged oh. <laughs> so it so probably helps as well that you know work for us never really stops even when we we are at home and, and we're eating dinner we sometimes talk about the next scene or what are we going to do here so it's that's why i think our collaboration is so tight and so unique in a sense right and i guess the last thing related to that so you mentioned you know bleeding fingers is, is where you work and and that's one of hans zimmer's uh companies so so how much of musical decisions come from hans zimmer himself we're, we're talking if we're talking about collaboration the whole premise if that's the right word i'm using mm -hmm. bleeding fingers is that collaborative aspect uh, from from the down up you know if we if we start from just uh, um how people start working here they usually start working here as an as assistants uh for example kara kara has a you know three people on her team i have two people on our on my team and the assistants can get promoted to junior composers so i have a junior composer and assistant kara has two junior composers and an assistant um and then junior composers can go up to composers and even when you're compose when you're a composer you still have people higher up than you and for us that's uh, our ceo russell emmanuel who's also the score producer for prehistoric planet and of course hans so what makes bleeding fingers super unique uh, is that let's say me and kara working on a on a on prehistoric episode and we we spend two three days on a queue each we listen back to each other's music we give each other like quote unquote revisions then even if we market version one, it might be version three for us when we send it to Russell and Hans. Mm. And Hans and Russell would give us revisions. And we would mark it down to version one again before we send it to the clients, even though it might have been version five or version six. Right. Uh, so when we send it to the clients, any, any music, it's super flushed out already. The ideas are clear. There's no if I can say half-assing it, you know? Yeah. Because if first, we're never going to send something to Russell and Hans if we don't feel confident about it. And then nothing that's going to go out of the building is, it, it's, it's going to be, when, when the music goes out of the building to the clients, we all feel confident that this is something that is good. Yes. Great. Now you you alluded to the spotting sessions, and you know just uh, you know just for my listeners that don't know what that means, that's uh, you know it's when you sit down with your creative team, and you determine where music goes and also where it doesn't go. But uh, you know within that, depending on the project, it can get quite detailed. Like if you were doing an animated film, you might be saying you know every seven or eight seconds there's a element that we've got to capture, you know somehow. 
or you know what i found when I, when i write is sometimes i write down things that just let me know what's happening but i might not mold the music around it what kind of details go into your spotting sessions for this uh, like you can use a specific cue for example like is there certain are you trying to tightly connect the music to the action or is it a little bit more loose for each cue well the spotting sessions for prehistoric were mostly the directors and producers saying so guys i want you to 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 spot the hadrosaur in this scene no i'm, I'm kidding it's a stupid joke Kara's <laughs> probably rolling her eyes i don't even get it <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's like bird spotting. Yes. Dinosaurs. Sorry. Oh. Comedy is not my strong suit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your question, um, some scenes are tailored very the music is tailored very specifically to the action. Yes. Like an action sequence, for example. There are many sync points and you know the tempo is very important and it's not mickey mousing per se but you really want to follow the action that's what's making that scene even more exciting is the music accenting certain hits but at the same time not giving away who is gonna win the fight for example Other cues, other sequences that are more emotional and um, kind of have a longer story arc, these are more nuanced. And we would stay out of the way a little bit more. What was so important, especially, I mean, spawning sessions are always important. For prehistoric, it was, it, it, it died, prehistoric planet is somewhere in between a nature documentary and an animation per mm -hmm. se. So the first cuts that we were getting a lot of times it was storyboards, uh, you know, two frames a second. Or sometimes there were no dinosaurs because they only had the live footage of the uh of the landscape. They they were actually filming, you know, all, all the landscapes are actually places on earth that they filmed. So sometimes the producers would have to say, oh, here a herd of hadrosaurs are going to be walking and it's going to be a time lapse. But all we see is, you know, a lake and some trees or whatever. Right. Sometimes that you would have people with... Uh, cutouts of like triceratopses walking around and they said oh they're going to be animated um so what was important for us is to uh, get as much information out of the production team of what the story arcs are and what they want to convey with particular scenes uh so we could we could then start writing on very very rough cuts because the story arc wouldn't change even though we couldn't see dinosaurs on the screen mm -hmm. Great. What was the schedule like for this score? I, I, I've i kind of heard from other people that with this type of project, usually it's done in all, in all at once. 
So it's not like, you know, network television where you're composing for a new episode each week. Is that the case? And if so, how much, how much time did you have to score this entire series? Well, we've been working on, it, it's been released as season one and two, right? I mean, season two is coming out at the end of this month, but we worked on it as a whole block. Yeah. All, all 10 episodes. So yes, that is true. I forget how long it actually was that we had. We, we've a little we've over started, a year. Well, if we go from when Hans and Andrew did the theme, that was probably 2021 territory or maybe even 2020. Uh, 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. We, yeah, we, we wrote the first scenes of Ice Worlds in December of 2021. And then we finished the last scene of season two around December 2022. Wow. <laughs> now we're in 2023. But, but mind you, I, I have to add this. Kara's very humble. Um, Kara also does the music for The Simpsons, which is every episode. So she was doing prehistoric, which we had six weeks per episode, roughly. Mm. Plus an episode of The Simpsons every week. <laughs> plus other stuff <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Uh, if this podcast were a little longer we could just talk about how do you how do you find time to sleep <laughs> um sleep oh, well, is very important yes it's very very important yes all right well let's talk about the sound world of this score so um you it, there's traditional orchestration in there. I believe I understand that you recorded in Wales, and, I, and I'll come back to the scoring session in a moment. But one of the highlights of this score is that you have a lot of specialty instruments uh, for it. That I, if I understand correctly, these were custom built. Is that correct? Yes, we we. Um, so me and Kara took a trip in uh, to Arizona in December of 2021. Mm -hmm. Um. It was COVID, so we just took our car and we we went, uh, and we visited you know the a lot of dinosaur related sites in Arizona. You have the Petrified Forest National Park. You have the Meteor Crater, the Moniope. I think I, I'm butchering the name. Uh, a dinosaur footprint park. Right. Uh, so, and we were trying to think how to convey the majesty and beauty of the dinosaurs in in one sense and in another sense the mystery and the otherworldliness of them it was a completely different landscape and world that we're used to right now and these these dinosaur related sites inspired us we we thought to ourselves why don't we try to make instruments out of the materials of which we can now study dinosaurs so we started building instruments out of fossils, petrified wood, bones, um, and we developed a few instruments. This was the first one. It's called the raptor violin. Mm -hmm. um, then we have the uh, hadro cello, which is uh, a cello with a bone stuck on it. We have two versions of the raptor violin made out of uh, actual fossils, not dinosaur fossils, but Ice Age horse fossils, which is the closest we could get. Uh, we have this guy here, the Fat Rex, who became the main instrument for the Velociraptors. It 
has a very nice T-Rex crest on it and strings on the back that we uh, that we plucked with uh, plesiosaur and mosasaur tooths that we bought online, <laughs> which right. are, mind you, very abundant that I found out that they're very easily accessible. So, so these instruments really made such a difference in our score because a lot of a lot of the times we would compose the orchestra around these instruments. For example, the Velociraptor scene, um, the whole beginning is basically improvised. The, the, the Velocira Velociraptor motive came out completely naturally because on that day, we just got the instrument back from, uh, with the first prototype of the instrument back from Chaz, Charles Lebrecht, who built all these instruments for us. Um, and that would have never happened if we, you know, tried to compose just with what we had in our computers or, you know, these these happy accidents happen and then you have to go, oh, this is cool. I'm just going to keep this. Right. Sorry. Uh, I hope I was not too long. Oh, no, no. That was fine. Actually. Kara, tell us about some of the other instruments and the soloists. Very important to the score was the Yabahar. Mm -hmm. And this is um, a patented instrument created by Gorkum Sen, a musician in Turkey. I don't know if you know much about it, but you should definitely look it up or put an insert in here right. if you want, because right. it's a really cool instrument. And that was also iconic for our otherworldly sounding score. We often doubled the violin section with the Yabahar to just give it that extra otherworldly feeling. Um, it also plays really cool effects and percussive stuff, and that's layered throughout the score. We also had um, Pedro, how do you say his last name? Pedro Ustash. Pedro Ustash, mm -hmm. um, who is a very talented flute player but he plays many different world flutes and he has a bunch of unique instruments in his arsenal and he really brought a lot of life to the score do you want to add anyone uh the only maybe person if we're talking about season one i don't know if we can talk about season two yeah i don't know either <laughs> uh, probably stick with season one for now <laughs> yeah uh so one really cool instrument that we recorded was the sub-contrabass flute. Um, it was played by Stefan Keller, uh, a Swiss flute player. And the sub-contrabass flute became the main instrument of the Mosasaur character. Mm -hmm. um, people people uh, really like that, that scene in Coasts where this, you know, the biggest, <laughs> biggest sea reptile that has ever lived uh, gets cleaned by you know tiny fishes like manatees get cleaned mm. whales nowadays um yeah that's it i think i think those are the main instruments 
Okay. Now you you had those. Um, did did you you all perform them yourselves? At least a lot of them. So you had to learn them. You had to practice them. Talk about just learning these instruments and uh, being able to perform them for your soundtrack. Well, Anja is a cellist, so it's quite. I wouldn't call myself a cellist or any any instrumentalist, really. You know how to play the cello. It's a similar <laughs> setup to a cello. And that's why it's easier for you to pick it up. But I can't play any of them, any of the custom instruments, really. The bone violin, uh, the raptor violin, is kind of playable for someone who can't play a string instrument, but it just sounds way better <laughs> when Ange plays it because you get the vibrato and... I, I mean, it, it was... The cool thing about custom instruments is that as soon as you start playing it, the first person that starts playing it becomes the best person in the world of that instrument. <laughs> so I guess I am the best Raptor violin player <laughs> in the world now. Uh, but joking aside, it's there's there's no correct way of playing them. Right. So you're you're kind of figuring it out along the way. Um, you know, we were playing with where to place the contact microphone. Do we need a contact microphone? Or how does it sound if we pluck it with a plesiosaur tooth or a mosasaur tooth or run it through an amp? You know, it's 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 all a big experiment, really. And uh, if nothing else, it makes our job so much funner, at least for me. Right. Um, it's a lot of trial and error. Uh, I, I, I now much rather record stuff and even if it's not that great uh then you know toss midi notes around for ages in in, in my daw which is keybase <laughs> now, i'm always interested in composing processes because i know there's a lot of varieties that composers use um do do you write down sketches or do you just press record and kind of kind of more or less improvise and then and then transcribe it or you know how do how do you especially with deadlines i know you can't like write every note down exact exactly the way you want it you have to go through like mock-up process but just uh, maybe maybe carol what what is your process for when you're first writing scores before it's ready to be orchestrated yeah well first i watch the scene like a bunch of times Anjay doesn't watch it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Uh, um, uh, our our process here is very different. I think it's interesting to share both, but we like start very very differently. Right. Yeah. So I like to observe the scene and because I like to plan what I'm gonna do. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I need to know where I need to end up because otherwise I might start too big or something right. so um i only listen to the temp very briefly because i don't want it to get stuck in my head mm -hmm. and i usually just play the piano for a while and try to find some sort of motif or melody to map to latch on to and once i have something there that i like i then start seeing what instrumentation i'm gonna how i'm gonna orchestrate this Right. 
And then uh, I assume that you guys do MIDI mock-ups of everything before, I mean, obviously you kind of have to get the approval before you go to a scoring session. So you, I'm assuming that you've got, of course, you know, the instruments you're going to use, like the Raptor violin, but then you, you probably use, I guess, you know, MIDI samples for what would, yeah. you know, what would be eventually recorded as strings and so forth. So. Yeah, we have full orchestral sample libraries and um, very intricate <laughs> mock-up techniques. The demos really sound 85% there, you know? I mean, the demos could go on air, but it's that, you know, extra 10% that that orchestra brings mm -hmm. and breathes life into the music. I mean, you really can't compare it right. to the mock-up. It's just... But yeah, mock-ups are, are so important. And one thing that I'd really like to stress a lot of film scoring schools teach the film scoring process mm -hmm. in a in an old school way where you have the sketch and then after the sketch you maybe do a mock-up and then you do a mix and then you do a or or then as as i'm I'm, so, I'm talking about a sole composer's job you know right. that that the, the there's like these steps to it which sometimes is true um, but we rather think of it as it's one, it's one thing. It's all a synergy. So our, our writing, orchestrating, mock it, mocking it up, mixing it, mixing the demo, it's all one thing. We don't write something and then go back and mix it before we send it to, to Hans for a second. Yeah, you know? the, mix, the mix aspect is already happening, you know? We're, we're not, we don't write stuff and then, okay, let me level it out now. Like, it's already... By the time it's done, it's already mixed. But yeah. there is a step before it goes to the orchestras that we have orchestrators that um, fine line music services. You should use them for all of your orchestration needs. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are great at making really neat, organized, great scores that the musicians will be very happy with. And yeah, they're it's, it's... adding stuff at, at that point too, cueing different parts just in case there's a player just sitting there, you know, that's a whole other part of the process. Yeah, so like with the orchestration, I I can safely say that both mine and Kara's orchestrations are very strong. Yes. So if we had the time, we would be able to prepare the stuff for the orchestra ourselves. The role of the orchestrators in a sense is to what we have in MIDI, transcribe it down into sheet music for the live orchestra to play. And if they add stuff in, for example, we only did clarinets in the woodwind section, but we have a full, whole woodwind section. They would, as Kara said, cue other instruments to play lines as well. And that would always be marked in the score as cue, meaning... Uh, sometimes we would say play all cues, meaning that the whole orchestration would be played or play no cues, which would mean that it would basically be exactly the same as we wrote it in the in the DAW. Nice. Uh, I just want, want to elaborate just because, you know, this is not a film music specific podcast. Um, you may have some people listening that, you know, this is their first episode of listening, uh, you know, to, you know, working composers talking about film scoring. 
but when this episode comes out, uh, I will have done a May the 4th Star Wars Day episode uh, t discussing the the score for The Empire Strikes Back. And we talked about a few things. We talked about Temp Track, which was prevalent in the very first Star Wars film. But, you know, we didn't. one of the things we didn't really elaborate on is that John Williams uh, obviously can orchestrate because he started off as an orchestrator. It's like he used to orchestrate for Henry Mancini. But even he, for the Star Wars movies, had orchestrators. So it's like if you if you go looking at credits, it's not a sign that the composer can't do it. But it's just the deadlines are so tight. It's not like, you know, you're Brahms and you've got 14 years to write a symphony. You've got, you know, uh, to create a really a high volume of music in just a short amount of time. So I just wanted to add that in. Uh, let's go to the scoring sessions now. So you... Uh, was it in Wales, I believe is what you said? Just talk about how many days and, uh, you know, what what size orchestra did you get to use and so forth. And just anything memorable about the sessions. It's the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. Mm -hmm. It's about an 80-piece orchestra, and they're all really good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, who, who's, uh, who conducted the sessions? It was uh, Ben Foster, I believe. But we were we were in Slovenia at that time on our uh, Christmas break. And mm -hmm. then I think the session was due to start January 7th or 8th in Wales. And we were supposed to travel there, but then COVID got really bad in the UK. So we decided just to listen in on the session from our studio in Slovenia, uh, which was actually very nice. <laughs> nice. It was a very, very nice time. Uh, and as Kara said, the orchestra is, I can hands down say, one of the two best orchestras I had the privilege working with. Um, such great musicianship. They were very pleasant to work with. They they took notes well. They It seemed like they had fun during the session, which is always a good sign. Right. Um, yeah, it was a, one, of, one of the most beautiful memories of 2022, for sure. Great. Well, I guess my last question about the score is, um, you know, how much influence did you have in creating the soundtrack album? I mean, it's it's with with these soundtracks, it's always like, if I can say, in a sense, killing your own babies. Yeah. Um, because we wrote roughly three hours of music, so we had to kill one hour away for the soundtrack. Um, so it was a process of making various versions of the set list of the soundtrack and then ah we don't need this because we already have this and then we were very happy with the selection and then the soundtrack came out and twitter was all like why didn't you include this and why didn't <laughs> you include the beginning of dreadnoughtus and yeah. uh people people were trying to find the missing tracks that they loved and it's always so strange to me that we have a, an opinion of our own what we think quote unquote the best music from the show is but then you have the audience thinking completely differently like some obscure piece of music so kara you mentioned that you are composer of the simpsons and uh how long have you been how long have you had that gig uh well when i started at bleeding fingers i was kind of 
assisting here and there on on that project that was like probably the first thing that I had to stem out <laughs> um but eventually uh as I was promoted I kind of became the principal composer and that was like three years ago wow so yeah I've I've been working on it since season 30 and wow. um we're now going into season 35 so yeah well it's very it's very impressive congratulations and uh for either of you uh are there any other composing projects or any projects you'd like to share that's that you can talk about that's going on um maybe not that's currently going on but we have obviously season two is coming out may 22nd for prehistoric planet um it's been announced also that a show that I worked on here at Bleeding Fingers for Baz Luhrmann is coming out probably in the fall, it looks like. Mm. Uh, so that's his show, Far Away Downs. We're excited for that to get released. Um, anything upcoming for you, Anjay? No, I don't work as hard as you. <laughs> <laughs> well... You're uh prehistoric planet uh sincerely it's a great score you guys did great work and it was great to talk to you about the process and uh you just encourage all the listeners again you know season one's out season two is coming out it's on apple tv plus and um also you know go listen to the score by itself and uh which i, I know i found it on spotify i'm sure it's on streaming platforms but i'm sure uh everyone would love it if you go ahead and just buy the album too just go ahead and buy it and download it and uh you know support these great composers uh so anjay and kara thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today thanks thank for you having so us. much david and if any any of the audience goes to listen to the score we want to know about it on twitter <laughs> even if you hate it we want to know about it i'm sorry i almost forgot to forgot to ask uh that reminds me where can people follow you online we're on the instagrams and Twitter. Twitter. I also made a TikTok channel. I have a hundred followers, so every follower counts. Be the first. Sign up now. <laughs> okay. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, David. David. And that just about wraps up this episode. But I wanted to make sure that you know that do check the show notes. There are a lot of links there, and some of them are for Instagram videos, which feature Anjay demonstrating some of the instruments that we talked about. So definitely be sure to check that out. If you've made it this far, I have a request. If you are at least 10 years or more removed from having graduated high school. So we'll just say if you are late 20s, very late 20s or older, and you are a professional musician, a music teacher of any kind, I have a question for you. What is one thing that you have learned since you graduated high school? It could be about music. It could be something in general. One important lesson that you would share with your 18-year-old self if you could go back in time. I'm very interested in hearing your answer. You can send me a message if you prefer that way. But uh, if you don't mind, I would love to hear your voice and to use it in an upcoming episode. You can leave me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit. That link is also in the show notes. As a reminder, if you have a private studio of any kind, you owe it to yourself to give Fonz a try to help you 
with your administration and your scheduling needs. You can try that for free using the link also in my show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, please give it a thumbs up, hit subscribe and the notifications. And if you are following this podcast anywhere, thank you. It would mean so much if you got value out of this, if you would share it with at least one other person. That's going to do it for episode 22. I will be back with you next week with episode number 23. Once again, thank you so much for listening.